Consider the words of Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 25, starting in verse 6. The Lord of hosts will prepare a lavish banquet for all peoples on this mountain, a banquet of aged wine, choice pieces with marrow, and refined aged wine. And on this mountain he will swallow up the covering which is over all peoples, even the veil which is stretched out over all nations. He will swallow up death for all time, and the Lord God will wipe away or wipe tears away from all the faces, and he will remove the reproach of his people from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. Now you can see the foreshadowing here from Isaiah and how it mirrors the lavish banquet that is awaiting us as Christians. Over in Matthew chapter 25, we find ten virgins. They were separated into five foolish virgins, and there were five wise or prudent virgins. And the story that is told there, the account that is told, is that they were waiting for the bridegroom to arrive. And the wise virgins had enough oil in their lamp to wait for an extended period of time, but the foolish virgins did not. And so they pleaded and begged with the wise virgins to, to give them some oil, but when they were refused, they left to go find more oil. And at that time, the bridegroom came. He let the wise maidens come in, and he shut the door, effectively locking out the five foolish maidens. We also find in Matthew chapter 22, an, another feast is being given. Certain people were invited, but they refused to attend. I guess they assumed that this was just another party, some ordinary old feast, and so they decided not to come. In fact, some of them even got the messengers and, and tortured them and killed them. And this made the king very angry. So he sends out his slaves to invite anyone that would come, rich or poor, whatever, evil, good. They were all invited to the wedding hall, and it was filled. The guests filled it, but one of the guests did not wear the proper attire. Maybe they thought that they could dress any old way they wanted to. The king had his servants bind the man, throw him out into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It seems that our Lord wants us to be ready for a party that is to come. Evidently, there is a feast to prepare for. I get the feeling that this party is one that none of us will want to miss. And it's a wedding feast that will occur when the bridegroom comes to receive his bride. And I want you to consider that the Lord's Supper is our rehearsal dinner. The Lord's Supper is a meal that makes us. Really, it's more than a meal. And actually, you probably think it's funny that we even refer to it as a meal or a supper. I mean, how can you make a meal out of a little piece of bread and a little sip of grape juice, right? But it's more than that. It leaves us hungering for more. Or at least it should. Not just in a physical sense. I'm talking about in a spiritual sense. It's a foretaste of what is to come. We join Jesus at this supper. We commune with him. As we take part and partake in this Lord's Supper, we do so dining with him. And we look forward to the day that he will return. We dine with him in spirit this morning. But of course, we look forward to the day that we will dine with him face to face for all eternity. We anticipate the day that we will spend eternity with him in the closest communion of all. You know, you remember what he said when he instituted the Lord's Supper. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. So when we participate in the Lord's Supper, we are obeying his express command to do this in remembrance of me. We're also doing this in his presence. 
We're doing this in preparation and anticipation of the day when we will go home. When we are received by Him and enjoy the great wedding feast in heaven. The bridegroom saved his best for last. So, while we support, uh, while we come together, support one another in worship of our God, we also come to partake of this supper, and we walk out of here, hopefully, with a greater appetite for what is to come. Paul reminds us of this. He says, For as often as you drink the bread, or excuse me, eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Until he comes. When we partake of the Lord's Supper, we are affirming our faith in the second coming of our Lord. When we come together to commune with one another, we are looking back to Calvary. And we are looking ahead to the time that Christ will return. Christ is most clearly proclaimed in the Lord's Supper. I want you to notice that Paul says, we proclaim the Lord's death. Proclaim here simply means to affirm. In communion, we are affirming that Jesus died that he was buried, that he rose again, that he is coming back. We affirm all these things. We affirm the gospel message and its power to save. Each time we do this in remembrance of him, we are proclaiming what God has done for sinful man. You know, wedding parties are typically a blend of guests, right? Many times these guests have not even met one another. Some of them know each other. A lot of them do not. Even when they gather together the night before for the rehearsal, a lot of times they are separated by the bride's party, the groom's party, and some of them don't even know each other, and they're asked to walk down the aisle arm in arm. They've never even met. But one thing's for certain. They're all there for the same reason, right? They're all there for the same purpose. They're all there to celebrate the wedding of these two people. So they meet and they greet, they find out a little bit about each other. Even though they never knew each other before, they are there for one purpose and one purpose only. And it's the same way with us. We may come on Sunday morning and we may have a lot of guests, we have a lot of visitors. You may not even know everyone that is a part of this family, but you're all connected in some way. You're all here for a common purpose. You're all here to celebrate and to join with Jesus around the table to partake of this meal. You all have one thing in common. Even if you have nothing else in common, you all share the same spiritual DNA, and you're all here for the same reason. You know, we often look to Paul's writings in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 for our signature text on the Lord's Supper. But actually, 1 Corinthians chapter 10 has a lot to teach us in the way of what it means to partake of this meal in a worthy manner. If you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 16 and 17, here's what you read. Is not the cup of blessing which we bless a sharing in the blood of Christ? Is not the bread which we break a sharing in the body of Christ? Since there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Paul describes the Lord's Supper here as a sharing. You may use a version that says participation or communion. They're all derived from the Greek word koinonia, which means that which is shared among a particular group. One of the most common translations for this word is fellowship, which is what we do when we gather around the Lord's table. 
the Lord's Supper is one of the most distinctive acts of the Lord's church. Hear me on this, though. We often come together and we say, we're about to engage in the most important act in our worship. We often come together and we say, now is the time for which we've all come to gather this morning. No, it's all important, okay? Let's not give the impression that there's only one real important part of worship. It's all important. The closing prayer is important. The singing is important. Whether you think so or not, the sermon should be important. So let's remember, it's all important, but certainly this is distinctive to what we do, right? Certainly this is important. It's crucial to what we do in our worship because it is a remembrance and it is a sharing. We are coming together in fellowship, both with each other and with Jesus. This is, this is a communion, and it's very fitting that the word union appears in the word communion because that's what this is. This is us coming together to express the unity that we have through Jesus Christ with one another. It's in communion that we are affirming our belief that Jesus died, that he was buried, that he rose again, that he is indeed coming back. And we affirm what all of this means for us as sinners. But here's a point that we cannot afford to miss. This is personal. And I'm not sure that we always tune into that. This is personal. The Lord's Supper is not just another item associated with worship. It is a crucial part of our worship. We know that it's not merely a ritual or a routine. We understand the significance that is tied to it. But do we make it personal? You know, if you're like me, you get a lot of junk mail. I get a lot of junk mail both in my mailbox and on my computer. In fact, I would probably say 75% of the mail I get could just be thrown in the trash. A lot of times I get mail in my mailbox that is addressed to Christopher Keith McCurley, and I realize that person doesn't know me because I don't go by those names. Sometimes it'll say Pastor Chris, and I think, okay, well, uh, sometimes they'll say Reverend. You know, I'll get different pieces of mail that are computer-generated. They may not have a return address. But then every now and then, I'll get a piece of mail in my mailbox that is kind of on a different type of envelope, and it has my name handwritten. It may have a return address that is handwritten. And I always open that mail first. You know why? Because that's personal. That's something that I probably want to read because somebody took the time to handwrite my name. And so I open it up, and typically that's something really good. This is personal. This, is, this should be written on our hearts by Jesus. What we do in the Lord's Supper is absolutely personal. We do it as a family and in fellowship with one another, but it's also very personal. The Corinthians, by Paul, were told to basically look inward and look outward. Look inward and examine yourself. Look outward and proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. This supper carries with it special significance because Jesus calls us to remember that he gave his body for who? For you. In Luke chapter 22 and verse 19, he states, This is my body which is given for you. Verse 20, he says, This cup which is poured out for 
you. This is the new covenant in my blood. Make no mistake, while the Lord's Supper is about Jesus, it is also very much about you. It has a whole lot of significance for you. Because even though Jesus died for all sinners, you're included among that group. And even if it were just your sins, that would have been enough. Jesus died for you. So what do you think about when the trays are passed? What's going through your mind? Do you just simply break off a piece of the unleavened bread and you wait for the, for the cup to come as well? Or what are you thinking about? I'm not judging you. I'm just asking. Think about what you're thinking about. Where is your mind? Where is your focus? Where is your heart during this time of communion with our Lord and with one another? What are you reflecting upon? I want you to notice what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 11, starting in verse 27. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But a man must examine himself, and in so doing, he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself, if he does not judge the body rightly. So to partake in an unworthy manner means to partake in an irreverent way. You cannot participate in an irreverent way. It's to come to the table with the wrong heart. That's what Paul is addressing here. The Lord's Supper is a remembrance, it's a proclamation, it's a thanksgiving, and it's a communion. And we must partake of it in a way that recognizes all of these different facets. We remember our Savior who paid it all. We proclaim our faith in Christ and the belief that He will come again. We give thanks for His sacrifice and the hope that it brings for us the sinner. We recognize the union that we have with one another through Jesus. We partake with an attitude of reverence and awe and humility and sincerity and honor. We partake with an attitude of complete devotion, of faithfulness, because it is what our Lord deserves and anything less would be unworthy. As one prepares for communion, he should examine himself and make certain that he approaches the Lord's Supper as a meal, not a common snack. To guard against the unworthy partaking of the Lord's Supper, Paul calls us to examine ourselves. The word examine there in the Greek is the word dokamazo, and it basically means to prove, test, or approve. So before partaking of the Lord's Supper, we examine ourselves. Are we taking of this Lord's Supper in a way that is reverent, that honors and loves the way that it should, the way that we should? You know, we have regular checkups with the doctor. We have regular checkups at the dentist. We take our car in for regular checkups. We need to do regular checkups as well. All throughout our lives, but definitely every Sunday as we come and approach the Lord's table. Self-examination should seek to answer the question, what am I about to do and why am I about to do it? And who, who does what I'm about to do it for think of what I'm doing? How does it affect me personally? You know, this is one time in church where you can be selfish. This is about you. This is about what Jesus did for you, what God did for you in sending his only begotten son. Personalize it. Make it about you so that you are thankful and joyful. You know, when Paul 
talks about taking in an unworthy manner. Some people take that to mean, well, I can't take the Lord's Supper this week because, you know, I've got sin in my life and I'm not worthy. That's not really what Paul was getting at. Paul was approaching the Corinthian brethren and telling them to examine themselves because what they were doing in partaking of the Lord's Supper was causing division. It was self-indulgent. It was not in remembrance of Jesus. It didn't promote the Lord's death or proclaim His death. It was not self-examining. It didn't honor the body and blood of our Lord. That's what he's speaking out against. You will never be worthy. Ever. So you don't Ignore the Lord's Supper one Sunday or push it aside because you don't feel worthy. You will always feel unworthy because you'll always be unworthy. Examining yourself means looking inward to say, what am I about to do and why am I doing it? Am I taking it with the right heart, with the right spirit? You will never be able to examine your life and say, well, I'm good. I deserve this. That will never happen. If it does, there's a problem, right? Approach the table each Lord's day, confessing your unworthiness. Even after you examine yourself, you're going to find that you are unworthy. Instead of, instead of wondering if you'll ever be worthy from week to week, approach it knowing that you're unworthy. And being grateful that Christ had to die. Sad that he had to die, but joyful that he did it. And that he rose from the dead. That he's triumphant over sin and death, and in turn, you can be as well. Some might say, but what if I have persistent sin in my life? Should I partake of the Lord's Supper? And I would say, there's a bigger problem if you have persistent sin in your life. You need to repent. You need to get that worked out first. But you will always feel unworthy. You will always be unworthy. You know, there was a, a group of teenagers that were doing a service at the nursing home, and they took communion to the residents there because there were several that, that were shut in that couldn't get out that wanted to partake of communion. Two young teenage boys went into the room of a gentleman that had been a longtime member at their church but now was basically bedridden. He couldn't get out and go to church. But he always insisted on taking the Lord's Supper, and so they would, they would take it to him. And the boys walked in the room, and they realized the man was asleep. And so they tried to wake him, but they couldn't. They could not stir him from his sleep. And so they wonder, what do we do? We know he's going to want to take communion, and we don't want to fail in our obligation. We were sent out here to do something. We want to follow through, right? So they noticed his mouth was open. And they broke off a little piece of the bread and put it in his mouth. And they massaged his jaws up and down. Then they took a little sip of the grape juice and they poured it in. And they noticed that he swallowed. But the man never woke up. And every Sunday there are a lot of people who do the same thing in the Lord's church. They take a piece of the bread. They take a sip of the Lord's Supper. That is the cup. And they never wake up. They never, in their mind or in their heart, become attuned to what is happening. And what they should be reflecting on, what they should be thinking about. I know there are a lot of distractions, you know, in our lives. It's hard to shut out the world around us when we come to worship. And we always talk about that, you know, 
be able to set the, care, uh, the, the cares of the world aside when you come here to worship. I know that's hard to do. I mean, it's, it's hard to turn off the world when we come here, but nowhere is that more important than when we come to worship and especially when we partake of the Lord's Supper. So when we partake here in just a few moments, examine yourself. You're always going to be unworthy, but know what you're doing and why you're doing it. Be grateful that our Lord instituted this and what it means for us, the sinner. And maybe you're someone who has persistent sin in your life and, and you need to come and you need to make that right with God. Do that this morning. Do it before we do anything else, right? Maybe you're someone who, is, who has been studying the Bible and you're ready to take the next step in faith and you're ready to be baptized. What a great morning that would be that you come up here, you get baptized, you arise from those waters of baptism, you come right out here, and then you take of the Lord's Supper for the first time. What a great thing. Maybe you have a relationship that you need to mend in this congregation. Maybe you're at odds with someone and you need to fix that. Don't take of the Lord's Supper until you fix that. Go to Matthew 5 and you can look at that. Before you do anything else, get right with God. You know, the Lord's Supper is not just a ritual. It's not just about a cracker and some grape juice. And the invitation is not just about come as we stand and sing. There's more involved here. If you need to do something in order to be right with God at this moment, don't wait and don't delay. Do it now before we partake of the Lord's Supper and then be joyful as that bread and that cup is passed. So come now as we stand and as we sing.